Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Hey there, prom party. Happy Independence Day. I have a really important question for you all. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? Yeah. Drifting through the wind, wanting to start again? I didn't realize that this was Miss Firework, the movie. See, I was going to make some kind of joke (laughs) about how you're not a firework, you're a firecracker. And then you just took the joke from underneath me. I can't improv with this. I'm out of here. <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. It's I'm even out hotter of here. outside than it is in here. I don't want to go outside. It's too hot out okay. there. Okay. <laughs> the sweltering, not quite July heat. And that means I would also have to put a shirt on, and I don't want to do that either. I don't blame you. No. Death to shirts. It's too hot. <laughs> I mean, I'm wearing a shirt, but I'm not wearing pants. See, you know what? That's We're just like yin and yang over here. It's great. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So, BJ. Yes. Are you excited for this movie that there's almost nothing on for the internet? All right. So here's the thing, friends. I'm very excited for this movie because it we're coming up on July 4th weekend, and there are a few things more Americana than teen movies. Like, that's a very American thing. Mm -hmm. And I went back and forth about a variety of different movies that we could have done for July 4th. And the one that I kept coming back to is Miss Firecracker. And Miss Firecracker is a movie from 1989. It's based on the Miss Firecracker contest, which is a play by Beth Henley, who is wonderful and writes like really, really awesome, like Southern Gothic uh, plays. And this is the movie version of that. And I had this realization in doing research that there are, like, no articles that exist about the movie. There are plenty about the play, but none about the movie. There are no GIFs. Yeah, there's no GIFs. How the fuck do you have a movie that doesn't have any GIFs? Like, there's no Tumblr that's got GIFs from this? Like, so disappointed. Um, But that made me more excited to choose this because I think this movie really envelops very, very American sensibilities specifically southern american sensibilities and we haven't really we've really tackled that yet on the show so no and uh this is a not a full-blown teen movie but it is extremely teen adjacent yeah so i mean how i'm justifying this one is that the the main conflict of this movie deals with elaine winning a pageant and carnell wanting to enter that same one and elaine won when she was a teenager Mm -hmm. and carnell is 
about to age out of eligibility. Mm-hmm. So she's 24. So yeah, she's not a teen. She's a little bit older. But Carnell acts like a teenager. Yeah. And I mean, is honestly, treated I, like a teenager. I think pageant stuff is more of a teen experience than an adult experience anyway, even though we have like Miss America and something like Miss Congeniality as a film. Like those are adult concepts, but it almost feels like you don't just jump into that. You're, right. you're brought up through the pageant scene before mm-hmm. you ever get to that stage. So it's... It's a part of like a teen upbringing that Mm -hmm. doesn't get really covered that often, I guess. Agreed. Especially when we're looking at small towns. Like it's a big thing. It's a big part of small town culture. Yeah. And Um, I have, you know, plenty of lived experiences to talk about it with. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it plenty with this one and then plenty when we inevitably do Drop Dead Gorgeous. One of your favorite movies of all time. One of my favorite movies of all time. That's I'm like probably going to book it ahead of time. Like that's probably going to be what I'm going to cover for my birthday next year. Okay. <laughs> Strapped gorgeous. Um, but I'm really excited to talk about this one and, you know, Americana and uh, all things insufferably patriotic for no goddamn reason. Yeah. And- I was... I was real nervous about this movie when I started seeing what was going on. I was like, oh God, we're in the South. And it's the 80s, but it feels like the 50s, and there's a lot of red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> we're at a point now where I'm sure I'm not the only one that sees, like, the American flag and doesn't think, oh, yes, America. You think, oh, God, racists. Yeah. Oh, God, Republicans. Oh, God, oh, Nazis. <laughs> yeah, that's what you think of when you see the American flag these days, and that's an unsettling thought. <laughs> yeah, so, Harmony, what did you know about this movie before I was like, hey, we're doing this firecracker? <laughs> didn't know a damn thing about this movie. I had no idea what this was. <laughs> Not even the faintest. I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard anyone talk about it, movie or play. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. So that's great for me. I love when you come in completely in the dark on a movie. Yeah, and like the thumbnail for the movie totally blindsides me because it's Mary Steenburgen and she's not even the star of the movie. And also like the shot of her is from like the credits of the film, basically. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because Mary Steenburgen is far more recognizable now than Holly Hunter, which is confusing to me because I love Holly Hunter, but she doesn't look like herself in this movie. No, but then again, I know her voice better than I know her face. Well, yeah, she's Mrs. Incredible. Yeah. So most- and the other role I mostly associate with her with is uh, the scary mom in The Big Sick. <laughs> where she's like yes. mega ball buster. Yeah. Like she she is tiny and full of fury and I love her. Yeah, she's great. Um, but I think it is because her as Carnell, like that's not what Holly Hunter looks like. Mm-mm. She's also not styled the way she normally is. So most people are probably like, what the fuck is this movie? I don't know who that she is. She has the most extravagant mixture of the mom from that 70s show and Josie Hare. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Josie Hare, but with way more body. Yeah, it's like, great. what the fuck? Her hair's amazing in this movie. But I think that's why they tend to lead with Mary Steenburgen and also because it's Miss the Miss Firecracker pageant and Mary Steenburgen is the pageant queen. So mm-hmm. it does make sense. I under, I understand why I get doing it, it, but also I <laughs> assumed the movie was going to star her and it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, she's in it. She's the She's like the third star in this movie. Yeah, I guess she's our antagonist. We'll we'll see. So, uh for those just joining us who have also likely never seen Miss Firecracker, uh there's no Fandango synopsis. Cuz of course there's not. There's nothing about this movie nope. on the internet. The <laughs> synopsis of the play is not quite what the this is but imdb has a very short one and i'm curious how you feel about it oh god carnell wants to escape her dreary life so she enters a local beauty contest much to everyone's dismay that's it that's it 
that's not really what this movie is. No, it's not. But it also isn't wrong because, yeah, everyone is like, what are you doing, Carnell? Why are you entering this pageant? Yeah, but she's not specifically entering it to escape her life. She just kind of wants it for her. She this is like okay so i guess just diving into carnell's life we the movie opens with this child that looks like they have horrifying hair turns out it's a hat it's like a hat of feathers oh god it's awful i was just like what is this blonde orphan annie wig it's atrocious and it's 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 not yeah but carnell's goal in life is seeing elaine as miss firecracker when she was like 16 or 17 or whenever however the lane was and carnell was maybe like eight mm-hmm. she's she's, she's pre preteen. Mm-hmm. she sees that and she sees this red dress and is on the float and waving and is like a vision of beauty and she goes i want that mm-hmm. and she's got a complicated reputation around town mm-hmm. and this is her last year to try before she ages out and just says fuck it i'm gonna go for it mm-hmm. and just all read everything eva marie eat your heart out but you wouldn't sell that house. You swore it on my heart. I need your money. But me, I live there. I live in that house. Where would I go? What would I do? I've never been on my own. What? I got no job. They fired me. Stop. I, I, I got break no your savings. Neck. I'll give you half of whatever I make. That way you can go wherever you want to go. Get out of this town for good. But don't mind. I never thought about leaving Yazoo City. Oh, think about it. Never been anything here for you but misery and sorrow. Yes, that's true, but still, I don't know. Maybe if I could, I don't know. I completely agree with you, but I also think there's at least a little part of Carnell that has seen the success of her cousin Elaine after winning the pageant, and there's a bit of her that's like, well, if I win, then I can also have that success and leave this town and and move on with my life and do something bigger and better. Probably. I think she's also extra motivated by Tim Robbins wanting to sell her house. Right. (laughs) So that probably helps. (laughs) Yeah, totally agreed. And before we dive any deeper into the nitty gritty of this film, Harmony, would you like to set the stage and talk about what was going on teen movie wise in 1989? I'm just going to talk about a whole lot of culture because this is a weird year to go over. (laughs) So this is kind of a, a drought of teen movies for the 80s, if I'm being honest with you, because there's not a lot of them. And the ones that are there are not ones that you think of as like big deal teen movies. Mm-hmm. So like the four probably biggest ones that came out this year, and one of those is being generous, is uh, so we have Dead Poet Society. Okay. It's like teen boys, but like it's also a period piece from, uh, based in the 50s, so it's not really like a like an 80s movie. It's certainly not an 80s teen movie. Yeah, this is also a movie a that, I lo- that I like to call um, English teacher doesn't give a fuck movies, yeah. where 
they really don't feel like dealing with you for a couple of days, so we're going to watch Dead Poet Society. Robin Williams, teach these kids so I don't have to. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Say Anything is probably the biggest teen movie of this year. Oh, easily. Yeah. Say Anything is is a de facto teen movie and is iconic, so yes. Yes, if nothing else for that final scene, because I've never seen that movie, but I've seen that scene. You will watch it eventually. I'm sure we will. <laughs> uh, teen Witch came out this year. God, I love Teen Witch. Also on our very long list of, of One titles. Day. Yes. And one that's not, I don't know, I think it's good. It's certainly not a big movie. Uh, Society. Okay. So I would say Society is not by definition a teen movie, but it does deal. college. Yeah. But it does deal with like teen-ish people and, but it's more of a body horror movie than anything else. I know. I mean, you want to take Jason Takes Manhattan instead? Uh, Yeah. Like, there's some horror stuff floating around, but again, this is a bit of a drought as far as, like, teen movies go. Mm -hmm. And if I'm being honest with you, like, there's not a lot of movies that are really good contemporaries for this. Mm -hmm. Um, This movie was released in April, but it has has a very distinct 4th of July feel, so I even looked at the summer blockbusters, and uh, 89 was a fucking stacked year where it's like, Ghostbusters 2, and... The last Indiana Jones movie, and by which I mean the last Indiana Jones movie, <laughs> and just a million other like huge blockbusters, none of which are teen movies, a lot of which are, are classics, but don't really feel definitive of 1989 specifically. There's, there's this weird, I feel like, boiling point, and the 80s is about to boil over by the end of the decade, mm-hmm. where even if you look at like the music, it's starting to change. And it's a lot of these uh, established stars that are existing in this space, like the MTV stars that don't really show um, like small town America. And it really highlights that this is sort of a forgotten part in a Reagan led 80s because you have things like uh, Madonna's Like a Prayer, Bon Jovi, Def Leppard, Guns N' Roses, all very, very successful bands who are about to hit a rough patch in like the next year or two. But you also have like the rise of hip-hop so you have like buffalo stance and tone loke and stuff existing out here and none of this is reflective of the world that miss firecracker exists in no despite the fact that it's taking place at the same time miss firecracker definitely feels out of place and I know that we talk about how where you live geographically has a massive impact on your upbringing, and this movie is a really great example of that because the people that are living in Yazoo City, Mississippi Mm -hmm. are not having the same experience as people in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, even a place like Cleveland. Even somewhere in the South that has a a bigger metropolitan area. Like in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. Even something bigger than like this town is going to be wildly different. Right. And it's very interesting because there was that resurgence of 1950s style and sensibilities in the 80s because of Reagan. Mm -hmm. So when you have those sensibilities happening and then also on top of it, it's the South, which also has like its own specific type of sensibility. Mm -hmm. And then also it's a small town in the South. It's a small town in a Southern state that does not have a lot of resources because Mm -hmm. it's Mississippi. It feels like another planet. Like it feels like a part of America that we act like doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And like we were debating going back and forth, like, is this a period piece? Like what's happening here? And we're like, no, this is, it's 1986 or whatever year it is. It's the Uh 80s in this movie. It just feels 
very behind in a lot of ways. Yeah, it feels super behind. It feels behind, especially with like how they're treating marginalized people, mm. which we'll we'll go into that at mm-hmm. some point. Um, how it's treating beauty standards, how it's treating women in general. I mean, even just looking at like something like the architecture, which doesn't get updated until it falls down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all like, the buildings look so old and like historic. Yeah. So it, it's really weird to place this movie in this period. I would argue that of the films that came out this year, maybe the closest thing you have to this is something like Field of Dreams, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of. That's that's sort of the only contemporary that exists to this culturally. Like, this this is the weirdest movie to come out at this specific time, you know? Mm-hmm. Agreed completely. But I I love the play. I love the script. I love this movie. And I'm excited to talk about it. So I guess to start things off, we should talk about the actual star of this movie mm-hmm. and it's Holly Hunter as Carnell. Uh how do you feel about Carnell? I think she is very youthful. Mhm. I think she's adorable. Mhm. I also think she's um delightfully naive. Uh that's a great way to describe she, her. <laughs> she's she's, ve- she's ve- wistfully dreamy. Mhm. She uh, just thinks everything's going to work out and I I respect that. Even though everything kind of sucks a bit. Yeah. Like, this movie opens basically with her getting fired. Mm-hmm. It does. At so. Working at, like, a fish plant. Because outside of the very dreamlike, you know, seeing her in the pageant as a little kid where it's like, oh, that's so sweet. It then immediately is like, hey, you want to see what it looks like to have fish massacred for your fish sticks? Mm-hmm. It's this is a... Gross. <laughs> well, welcome to reality. Mm-hmm. So, I... I think she's a, I mean, I guess if you want to use a word, she, she's a firecracker. She she can burst into like very spirited, um, I don't know if anger is the right word for it, but you, like, do you know what I mean? Like, what what's a good word for describing like the way that she, she has almost outbursts in this movie? Like, she's very defiant, I guess. She's a little volatile. Yeah. And I completely understand why she is the way that she is, because they don't ever have moments where they sit down and examine Carnell, but they there's a lot of stuff that gets talked about. Like, her her parents died. She was forced to live with her aunt and uncle, mm-hmm. who's, you know, Mary Steenburgen's parents, who we learned through her, like, they were also not really good guardians and did Mm -hmm. not treat her well and carnell grew up in the shadow of elaine who is this beautiful pageant girl that the entire town loved Mm -hmm. and it gave her really low self-esteem and Mm -hmm. people treated her like a joke so she looked for validation elsewhere and where she got it was hooking up with people around town like with carnies like max sam the carney yes and that's what got her this kind of not so great reputation they call her the hot tamale And while it's not explicitly explained in the movie, uh, the play does. And the reason that she's called Hot Tamale is because she gives Max Sam syphilis. She gives it to him? Yeah. And then the whole town finds out. Where did she get it from? Because she's been sleeping around. She's drowned? Yeah. Okay. So they call her Hot Tamale all throughout the movie. And, you know, because they don't say what it is, I guess some people are probably like, oh, it's her hair because she dyes her hair like fire truck red or maybe that she's got a hot temper or that she has a hot temper right but it's because she has a literal hot tamale oh dear yeah um so that's why she has this not so great reputation in town 
And it's all rooted in her looking for validation that she never got. Yeah, and if you want to compare her to Elaine, because, I mean, that's that's really what a lot of the character motivation in this movie is. Elaine, her cousin, is tall and slender and gorgeous and admired by everyone in town because she's Miss Firecracker and she is just a vision that you just, that you idolize. And then you have Carnell, who is kind of short. She's kind of, she, she, she's not even like, She's not thick. She's Mm-mm. she's she's very fit. Yes. Like she's like at one point she's having a breakdown and trying to wash the red out of her hair and saying like I got fat thighs and I'm like honey you have gorgeous thighs. Mm-hmm. You you have phenomenal shoulders and arms and thighs and like a killer butt. Like I'm jealous she's of built everything like you've Mrs. got. She's like Mrs. Incredible. <laughs> yes, it's inc- it, it's fantastic. Pixar mom bod. Yeah, it's like it's, she looks so good and I think she wears that horrible hat probably because she hates her hair because it's not like straight and easy and like, I don't know, flowy. It's it's very thick and difficult, which I can relate to. And mm-hmm. everything about her is kind of comparing herself to Elaine. And I feel like her trying to win the Miss Firecracker contest is saying like, I'm just as good as you, even though I'm nothing like you. Mm-hmm. And I really identify with that mm-hmm. as somebody who did pageants for a lifetime and was always the shortest and the fattest person no matter how old I was whether I was seven years old or 20 years old mm-hmm. I was always the shortest and the fattest one in the competition yeah and anyone who's seen Holly Hunter knows that she is also like extremely tiny yes. she's like five one. Which is one reason that I love her and like Ray Romano together in the big sick because he's also like a gangly weird dad giant. <laughs> and they I like them together actually. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I I really resonate with that character because the other thing too is there's this uh shot of her with the other contestants. They're doing like a swimsuit. Oh yeah, and she's photo right shoot. in the middle and has a great swimsuit. Oh yeah, she has a great swimsuit, but she has the best posture. She's carrying herself with the most confidence and like she has the quote unquote most like aesthetically pleasing looking body at least through like our modern lens. through our modern lens right yeah. like at the time in the 80s and in this is 89 so we're going into the 90s you wanted to be thin fit yes not like athletic fit kind of yes we haven't gotten quite to heroin chic yet but we're on our way there yes. so the idea of being attractive was just that you were as thin as possible and for her, like, yeah, she does have really muscular legs and she's got a nice butt. So she has some shape to her. Uh-huh. So she stands out, like, very much so compared to, to her competitors. Compared but, to that girl on the left who has the worst posture imaginable. Oh, my God. It's great, though. She's, like, <laughs> so hunched into her own body and it's fantastic. And, like, her arms are hanging, like, in front of her. I love her. Not even she's, on the sides. Oh, my God. She's great. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Um, there's a lot of good stuff going on. But it's interesting because you look at her compared to... Mary Steenburgen, who is, like, very thin Mm -hmm. and is very tall and, like, this towering presence. But also Mary Steenburgen has perpetually had the most kind and welcoming face, Mm -hmm. which is also why she's had such a great resurgence in the latter part of her career playing moms in movies. She's she's the hot mom in in Step Brothers. And she's the mom in Elf. Yeah. Like, and she just has, like, such a soothing voice and her eyes, like, just sparkle when Mm -hmm. she looks at you. She's got this humongous smile. Like, so it makes complete sense that someone like Holly Hunter would 
be like, oh, I'm not good enough because I'm nothing like that. And also she plays like weird ages kind of. Yeah. Where like, I think she plays older in Back to the Future 3, but she's playing younger in this movie Mm -hmm. than she is. And then is playing like way younger in flashbacks, but she's pretty much looked the same through like a large chunk of her career. Yes. So it works. Look, Carnito. What a coincidence. <laughs> what, Benjamin was just sitting here rhapsodizing about your cousin Elaine. We're delighted she's accepted our invitation to appear at this year's contest. She's going to be delivering a speech entitled, My Life as a Beauty. <laughs> yes, I know. Isn't it grand? But I, well, I, I'd like to register as a contestant for the contest. You would? Yes, sir. I I really like Carnell. I like how vivacious she is. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I like how aggressively vulnerable she is. Oh, yeah. She is, um, she is like a house of cards. Yeah. You know exactly how she's feeling because she actually expresses it. Like, mm-hmm. Carnell is not somebody who's going to be quiet about her feelings, nor is she going to be somebody who's going to be dishonest about them. Mm-hmm. If she feels depressed, she will say, this is the saddest day of my life. I'm very upset. If she's feeling happy, she'll go, this is magical. This is the best day of my life. And she will tell you. And I like that about her. Well, I like that I always know what I'm getting with her because she tells me yeah there's no uh there's no shadiness to her and i think that her being so open to her emotions is why she reads as such like a good teen-ish character because like we called her youthful earlier when we were talking Mm -hmm. about her but that like explosion of almost like the drama where she's like trying to like scrub her hair after having this breakdown post um she thinks she's pageant not, audition. Yeah, she thinks she's not getting into the pageant because they they haven't called her, mm-hmm. and she just loses it. Yeah, and it's it's almost it's very teen kind of like drama fit. Yes, and I think that that's one of many reasons why this movie works so well as like a teen film mm-hmm. because everything about Carnell scans young, and I think that that's like one of the big underlying themes of this movie is that. We, we really have, like, four main characters in this film. Like, primarily mm-hmm. three, but, like, four main characters in this film. Mm-hmm. And Elaine is different than the other three because of class inequity. Mm-hmm. And she is more educated. And mm-hmm. that is a big difference. So, yeah, we've been kind of tiptoeing around Elaine. Let's just talk about her completely. So, Elaine is Carnell's cousin, who she also grew up with because, obviously, Carnell got taken in by her family. Mm-hmm. And... Elaine is that pretty popular girl who got out of town. She moved to Atlanta. She married Franklin. A a rich man. Rich man where she could have anything that she wants. Lots of nice clocks. All her nice clocks. Her license plate is TikTok. Mm -hmm. She she loves a good clock. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's viewed as the success story of this small town. Mm Mm-hmm. But Elaine is like that girl who you hear rumors about before a high school reunion about like all of her success and all the things she's done. Um, it's very like Romy and Michelle where it's like, did you hear mm-hmm. about like, oh, she she got out and she did things. And that's something that I find really interesting about movies like this, which do seem to both criticize and glorify small town living. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in these movies, the sign of success is that you leave the town. Yeah. it's. I mean, we see the same thing with Drop Dead Gorgeous, where they talk about, you know, guys get out all the time for things like hockey scholarships and prison and 
the pageant is how girls get out of that town. And that sort of seems to be what we're playing with here a little bit of Elaine won this pageant and that meant that she got to get out and meet a handsome rich man who's going to love her because she's the beauty queen and then she's going to get out of Yazoo City and be successful. And that's really, really fascinating to unpack, I think. I think Elaine is the inverse of something we would see 20 years later with the tropes of like Hallmark films. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. So Elaine, um, as a person, she's very composed, plays, is, is very polite. Mm-hmm. She's also a huge bitch. Elaine is, oh, bless your heart, like as a person, mm-hmm. where everything that she does is feigning kindness and concern when we know that the motivations are insidious as hell and evil. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Because I love that we're we're playing with a, a pretty standard thing of like, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. You know, Elaine is the beautiful one who did the pageant. She's Everyone great. Loves She's her. successful. Everyone loves Elaine, but Elaine's awful. Whereas we then have Carnell, who everyone is like, she's brash and she's loud and she's inappropriate, but she is the kindest person in the entire movie. Oh yeah, definitely. That's a lie. Popeye's the kindest person, but uh, you know <laughs> they're, they're pretty. They're pretty level. They're, yeah, they're pretty even keeled. That's true. Yeah. But you know, Carnell loves Popeye and mm-hmm. like respects her work in a in a city where you know Elaine says things like, "Oh, you know, the pageants have really gone downhill now that we've integrated them." Mm-hmm. And I had to look at you and I'd be like, "You know what she's saying, right?" Yeah. <laughs> and that was one of the many reasons where we're like, "Is this?" A period piece. Mm-hmm. Or could it also be that like a lot of this stuff was going on uh, a lot longer in some parts of the country than uh-huh. in others? So uh-huh. I was like, this could be either. I'm not sure. And then there was some like synthy new wave music that queued up during like the pageant. I was like, okay, we are firmly in the 80s. Got yep. it. But I was not sure until like that moment and over an hour in. And that's something that I think is really important about this piece mm-hmm. is because there are those comments like that where you know Popeye's treated pretty shittily mm-hmm. by everyone in town with the exception of Carnell and then uh, her cousin Delmont and Delmont is Tim Robbins and is Elaine's brother mm-hmm. and we'll talk about him in a second yeah but Popeye who's Alfred Woodard is a seamstress in town and she's black and, and she makes tutus for frogs she makes tutus for frogs <laughs> and she's just so kind but she's good at what she does mm-hmm. and people treat her poorly because she's black and living in the south and mississippi in the 80s yeah and i like that they are willing to go there in this movie and be like yeah here's elaine she's super nice she also says shitty things about black people so is she nice the answer's no she also uh Towards the legendary red dress because the... it is not for Carnell. Oh my gosh. Carnell is not a winner who gets to wear this dress. This is for me. I'm better than you. Just knew wouldn't do. But Elaine, you carried it here. Why couldn't I use it? Because it's mine. And I guess this is mine. But I'm not wearing it for the rest of my life. So, yes, there is a famous red dress that that is referred to all throughout 
the movie. Mm-hmm. And Carnell wants to borrow the red dress. She has planned her entire pageant set up around having this red dress. All red everything. She's dyed her hair red. Her bathing suit's black and red. Her talent costume's red. Like, she wants to wear this red dress. And Elaine just lies to her through the entire movie and is like, oh, it's at home. When Franklin finds it, he'll call and let you know. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, no, she brought it with her and hid it in her suitcase specifically so that Franklin couldn't find it and so that Carnell couldn't wear it. Mm -hmm. And it is so mean and like unnecessarily mean. And I know plenty of people who are very precious about their pageant gowns. I do. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know that my mom was not super thrilled when I <laughs> gave my pageant dresses away when I had retired, but I did so because I, I recognized that I'm an oddly shaped human mm-hmm. and I was at like a dress reselling event and there was a girl who was built similarly to me who saw the dress, wanted it, couldn't afford it mm-hmm. and started crying. And I had that moment of like, I know what this feels like. I've been that girl who goes to 100 dress stores and nothing fits. And then when you finally find one that does fit and it's really expensive, like it's heartbreaking. The famous polka dot dress as an example. My my famous polka dot dress. So yeah, I gave my dresses to this girl because I was like, I don't want you to ever have to go through that. Take them. Like Mm -hmm. I'm never going to wear them again. When would you? Right. When the fuck ever would I? But there are plenty of people who are super precious about it. Like they treat it like it's a wedding dress. Mm -hmm. And part of me understands that. And the other part of me says... Grow up, move on, give it to somebody else who might who might benefit from it. Mm-hmm. All it's doing is is sitting in a shelf or hanging on a hanger or what have you. Like mm-hmm. let that dress have some life into it. And Elaine doesn't want to do that because like that's hers and she's very possessive over it and she treats it like a status symbol. And I think she's really selfish. <laughs> I think she is sneaky mean. You know, this is, that's mm-hmm. the thing I said where like she plays nice where it's like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, all, all peaches and cream to your face, but I'm also going to undercut you and be an awful person without you knowing how awful I am. Because I've still got a safe face, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like such a fucking, like realistically, that's a carny thing to do. Yes. And yet she thinks she's better than someone like Max Am. She absolutely thinks she's better than someone like Max Sam. Yeah, and it's it's so weird how they're not that different, are they? No, no, they are not. And uh, I think I think we can talk about talk about the boys that we've got in this movie. Uh-huh. So first we have Delmont, and Delmont is what? Elaine's brother. He's also <laughs> Tim Robbins. He's also just getting out of prison because that's what we do with Tim Robbins, apparently. Yeah, Tim Robbins just spends a lot of time in prison. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Um, but what we find out once he gets out of prison is, uh, so he was in prison, but he also went to like, what is essentially an insane asylum Mm -hmm. and he was kept there longer than necessary because they weren't going to just release him into the wild. Uh, they needed someone to take, take care of him or to be his home base. Mm -hmm. And his next of kin that they asked is Elaine and her husband, Franklin. And she said no. So he spent a longer period of time because his sister abandoned him. Mm-hmm. So rightfully so. Delmont's a little pissed when he gets out. 
Oh, yeah. And, and then he's also like scraping roadkill for the county and just mm-hmm. having a bad time. Yeah, he's having a, he's having a rough go of it. So he's a little uh, unstable, a little unhinged, and a little angry. And maybe just, maybe a little sociopathic. Yeah, justifiably so. In the play, he's a lot more sociopathic than he is in the movie. He's mm-hmm. a little more sympathetic here. Okay. <laughs> um, he's still sympathetic in the play, but it's just amplified a lot more, I think, yeah. in the movie. Because also Tim Robbins has just such kind eyes. Yeah, there's, there's, that, there's <laughs> that too. Plus, Tim Robbins is just kind of a likable dude in most stuff. Yeah, so. he really is. But what I find interesting about his character is that despite the fact that he's presented as being the most mentally unstable of all of them, he's kind of the referee throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. Like he understands both sides of Elaine and Carnell and plays negotiator for a lot of it. Yeah, no, that seems fair. Yeah. And I, I find that to be a really interesting take is this person that we're introduced to as being unreliable is the one who has the most wits about him, so to speak. Yeah, he's uh, he's really good between those two, but he definitely has like these very manic episodes where there's one scene where him and Elaine are like having a great time dancing around the house, and then in another scene, he's having horrible night terrors and about ready to like throw fists at Carnell for trying to open that uh that monkey's bedroom who mm-hmm. is like their hairy mother because mm-hmm. she had like a frontal lobe operation and it made her grow excess body hair or something mm-hmm. yeah so um he he works in in very intense extremes yes very very which, much so. which isn't really that different than how carnell works honestly mm-hmm. and so. it's also not very different than from how Elaine works. They're just mm-hmm. all presenting it very differently. Yeah. And, you know, family's family, and they got to have something in common, and the thing they've got in common is that they have very extreme emotions. They just present them all differently. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. And then uh, he ends up uh, falling in love with Popeye Jackson. I know, and it's very cute. It's and very cute. It, it's snowing on the lake. Yeah, there's this very cute, like, he keeps having this dream where he's on the lake in a boat, and then it starts snowing, and then there's a moment with him and Popeye, and they're on a lake in a boat, and she's throwing popcorn at him, and she says it's snowing, and it's like, oh, she's the girl of his dreams. That's so sweet. And I love that that happens specifically because there are several women who pursue him over the course of the movie, mm-hmm. and he's like... Ew, I hate you. And like physically runs from them. Yeah, he has no time or interest for any of the women that are like, Delma, you're back in town. Hey. And he's like, get the fuck away from me. Yeah, so he has options. And then he picks someone like Popeye, who obviously I could see people in Mississippi frowning upon that. But she's kind and a good person. And that's Mm -hmm. who he wants to be with. And that's really nice. Because it's also, I think deep down who he wants to be is he wants to be a kind person. And all he wants is for someone to treat him like a human. And Mm -hmm. Popeye's like, yeah, no, you're cool. She also probably doesn't understand like his complicated history. mm -hmm. I think people definitely have an impression of him based on stuff that has happened in the past. Same thing with Carnell. There's also definitely a standard of, what people think this family is like based off of the successes of Elaine. Um, yeah. So I then they're, they seem more like fuck ups than in comparison. Yeah. That's, that's definitely part of it too. Um, and then our other, like, I guess main character that we've got going on is Mr. Max Sam mm-hmm. played by Scott Glenn. 
who is Carnell's much older. Like 25 years older. Yeah, boyfriend, mm-hmm. uh, who is a carny. So she sees him like twice a year or something. Mm-hmm. And he sort of fits this really interesting role where he is both absolutely in love with Carnell mm-hmm. and like loves her for who she is, as she is, does not want her to change, mm-hmm. but recognizes, okay, this pageant is not who you are, but it's something you really care about and is really important to you. I'm going to support you, mm-hmm. which I think is lovely. And then for Carnell, she has somebody who's providing her this like unconditional love and affection and somebody who is there to support her. And because he's older, he does sort of fulfill this sort of like dad role for her Mm -hmm. as well as a romantic interest. And I think in all honesty, I think they're a good couple. Yeah. Because they genuinely do care about each other. And this gets into that weird like age gap gap relationships kind of conversation. But it's like they're both consenting adults. And Carnell's not a kid. Like she is she having some action sometimes that can seem a little bit immature. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But she's 25, 24 years old, turning 25. Mm -hmm. And I think we looked it up in like Scott Glenn at the time was 50. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old he's supposed to be playing in this, but clearly he's much older. He's clearly older, yes. Yeah. But, you know, they love each other, and he also gives her space. Mm-hmm. Like, when she's having a hard time and is like, I just kind of need to be by myself, he's like, whatever you need, and lets her go. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. We really don't see a lot of characters in movies that are these boyfriend or husband roles that are not only the biggest cheerleaders for their for their girlfriends or their wives, but also take a step back when they need it and let them do their thing. Well, yeah, especially because I think a lot of guys feel this pressure either from society or because they put it on themselves to be like, I'm the man, I'm the provider, I'm the fixer. I have to fix it now, which means Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you space and I'm going to be kind of too much. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's just because they're physically distant from each other uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. But like he understands like they, they understand what each other need. And that's why they work so well together. And I mean, sure, people could make some sort of like, well, daddy issues thing. It's like, yeah, well, fine, whatever. But I feel like that's really unfair and discrediting towards anything else that's going on between these two fucking adults. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I really like about their relationship is that Max Sam also knows that if Carnell were to make him her forever that he would be holding her back from her potential. Mm -hmm. Because towards the end, they have this big talk where he's basically like, yeah, you didn't win this, but you're wonderful and you deserve bigger and better. And if you're with me, you're going to get dragged down here because Mm -hmm. of what I do for a living and you deserve better. So like fly, fly, pretty bird, like go, go off, follow your dreams. Mm -hmm. And it takes a very secure and a very strong man to be able to admit that. Because and he recognizes what what leaving this town means for him means always coming back because he's yes. just he's on the road he's he's a carny yes and for her it's leaving this town it means it means the world like yeah and anything could happen it means saying goodbye to all of the rumors and expectations that people have for her or the the limitations that have been set for her based on everybody knowing her business Mm -hmm. like leaving yazoo city means a fresh start where people don't know you Mm -hmm. and they don't know your past and they don't know your family and they don't know your reputation and you can get a fair shake at things and that shit is great i was so happy when i left my small town i was too (laughs) so 
as I'm sitting here thinking about this, and we, we sort of talked about how this movie doesn't really have a lot of contemporaries by this point in the 80s. Right. Do you know what movie this most closely reminds me of from this decade? What's that? So it's from the early, I think it's like 82-ish. Okay. Um, and it's also based on a play. It, it's coming back to the five and dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. Oh, yeah. This is very, very similar of like rundown small town America that's getting forgotten about what leaving this town means, what staying in this town means, like mm-hmm. going off to be whoever you want to be in, in a very different way in Five and Dime. Yeah. And I love that the decades kind of bookended by two stories that are essentially telling the same thing. Mm-hmm. And they could have just as easily been released the same year. That's a really good point. Yeah. Come back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean. Jimmy Dean is a highly underrated movie. It's incredible. But you're totally right. They they are spiritual siblings for sure. Mm-hmm. I like that. I'm going to have to like marinate on that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're totally right because in in both of those movies we we are seeing the results of not just what happens when you leave but also what happens when you stay. Mm-hmm. And I I think that we at some point culturally and I I don't know exactly when this started happening. But we started romanticizing small town life. I think I could take a stab at when. Okay, when do you think it happened? So first of all, 1989 is a really weird period because you are about 10 years removed from the bicentennial and about 10 years removed from 9-11. So we're kind of in this lull of patriotism in America. And I think that in the next coming three years, there's a country music explosion. That's a good point. Because country went pop with stuff like Garth Brooks and Billy Ray Cyrus. And then suddenly like small town America became very, very appealing because you can run away from your troubles and go drink beers by the river wearing skin tight blue jeans that are painted on with your best girl in your pickup truck. And it only got more like that post 9-11. You're very right. There's a old Tumblr post that is one of my favorite memes that comes around every once in a while. And it says the types of people who romanticize small town life. One, people who didn't grow up in small towns. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the list. And then the replies are like, the locals aren't quirky. They're racist. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to do. So everyone's on drugs. Why are you acting like gangsters? You are white and there are cows outside. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's the thing that I tell people about where I'm from, which is from Ohio. And people ask me, oh, well, what's there to do in, in your town? And I go, drugs. Everyone did drugs. And yet we had white kids who pretended they were gangsters, as well as suburban rednecks who really liked the Confederate flag, and they're from fucking Ohio. Right. <laughs> so it was pretty much people going, I want to be something else other than from here. Mm-hmm. Whether that means getting high and forgetting I'm here, or pretending I'm someone else from, like, the South, where we've got history. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just pretending that I'm black as, mm-hmm. like, a boring suburban white kid. Mm-hmm. So... There, there, there's this fantasy of not being stuck where you are, even if you are stuck there, mm-hmm. that I think really appeals to small town people. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that there's something really beautiful about Miss Firecracker because it does show the positive sides of having a small town. Because if you are someone like Elaine, and I unfortunately have had this experience because I was an insufferably successful person in my youth, mm-hmm. that when I go to my hometown... It's like the fucking parade has come in Mm -hmm. and everyone is excited. And I go into, you know, the local watering hole 
and they still know my order and everyone says hi and they all know what's going on in my life and they know my parents and well, they know everything. Social media helps with knowing about people's lives, I think, in a lot. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it, too. But even if, you know, these are all p- older people that don't really use social media, but they mm-hmm. know because they all follow because I'm the definition of like hometown kid does good mm-hmm. from where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And that's a really weird feeling. But at the same time, there is a a weird level of comfort to that because no matter what happens in my life, even though like that place is not ideal, I would prefer to never live there again. Mm -hmm. If push came to shove and I needed somewhere to go, I know that I have a support system there. I know that I have people that would take care of me if if I needed it. Mm -hmm. And that's really comforting. And that's something that I think exists when you have those like really tight knit communities, which... It's either you're, if you're in a big city, like it's your neighborhood, like mm-hmm. the, those are the people that take care of you. And if you're in a small town, it's it, it's the community. And I think that's really beautiful. But at the same time, it also points out like how limiting that can be, mm-hmm. how there are people who do not see beyond where they are, who do not recognize a life beyond where they are. And there's, there's some danger to that. And I think it's getting a little bit more complicated now that we do have social media mm-hmm. because now we are acutely aware of how staunch the differences are mm-hmm. between where people live. Oh, yeah. Especially with, like, the idealized versions you see on places like Instagram. Mm-hmm. Those pictures used to be reserved for, like, slideshows you subject people to going, like, hey, I hate my town so much, but I don't want to leave that we went on vacation to anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Let me show you what it's like out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'll share this with the show because why not? Um, I had a full-blown existential crisis the other week because I was watching a TikTok and it was a girl from Kentucky complaining about Los Angeles and about how it there's so much traffic and it's really expensive and I hate it and blah, blah, blah. I can't wait to get home. And then the person who stitched with it, their entire account is basically like just defending California and is it Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers? <laughs> it's not. Um, but he's talking about California. He's like, yeah, I understand why you don't like it here. And I understand why it's so expensive here. Our, you know, our minimum wage is double what it is in Kentucky. So, yeah, it is a little bit more expensive because we pay people more. And I had this moment where I was like, wait. And then I had to look up, you know, the the hourly equivalent of my salary uh, from my job that my survival job that's based in Ohio. And because I'm being paid Ohio wages, I am technically making like less than minimum wages out here. Mm-hmm. And it was just this really heartbreaking realization of like, wow, all the hours, all this time I've put in doing what I've been doing, I could have been working somewhere else and making like way more than that. And I mm-hmm. wouldn't be struggling as much. And oh my gosh, no wonder everybody, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know that there are wealth disparities and class disparities all across the country, but that transition and having to process how different it is once you're actually in the difference is really something. Uh, Yeah, I just, I mean, let's look at some numbers. Minimum wage in Ohio is like, 780 or something like that minimum wage in california is like 15 dollars. yeah it's practically double it's it's and it's also based on how many people are working in you know your company so small businesses obviously don't have to do quite as much Mm -hmm. like it is it's a it's an equitable 
thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is wild. Yeah. I mean, c- comparing anything to California is completely unfair. But just looking at numbers like that from where we were to six months ago to where we are now, it, it, that that is such a massive difference where it's literally double. Also, I had to uh, look it up for my own sanity. But large corporations in Ohio, it's eight dollars and eighty cents, and for small businesses, it's seven twenty-five. Yeah, and then that's also not taking into consideration people who are like tipped workers or anything like that, which is really weird. Because, or obviously, like prison labor. Yeah, when I uh, when I think when I entered the workforce after the after the economy bottomed out in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I think minimum wage was like seven fifteen at the time. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. Mm-hmm. In t- uh, 12 years, it's gone up by 10 cents. Mm-hmm. Great. Now, granted, that first real job that I got to outside of a temp agency and a couple other random bits here and there, um, they paid me $9 an hour and gave me benefits to sell pies. And it was really nice. And then I came home and my mom said, how much do you make? I go, $9. And she goes, well, I make like $26 an hour. Maybe you should have gone to college. Yeah. Uh, th- thanks, Mom. Because she's a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you know how many people are going to hear that and be like, <gasps> I, I I truly hope the listeners, like they, if they've been listening for any period of time, they know how much my mother sucks. And I hope they appreciate me just dogging on her all the time because it makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But I, I mean, I'm glad we're talking about like the, the money situation because this movie does play a lot with classism oh that's like the main underlying antagonist like elaine is personifying that but like that's the real struggle here right yeah the the real issue here is the classism because carnell is viewed as poor she's a poor kid well she's in this house that they consider like a dilapidated mess when they try to sell it or whatever Mm-hmm. and one of the reasons that she enlists popeye to help her as a seamstress is because she's gonna have to wear her mom's kind of crappy dress that wasn't taken care of and is eaten by moths and mm-hmm. has a lot of issues going on and the second she enters the stage she gets made fun of mm-hmm. and the girl who ends up inevitably winning the pageant we see you know earlier she's got this custom gown that's being tailored perfectly to fit her body and, and it's a very cute gown yes it is a very cute gown it's it's got like a very dolly parton kind of look to it i, I, I like the the top Mm-hmm. Like that bust line that goes around the shoulders. It's very cute. Yeah. Yeah. It is a good dress. I'm not going to... I'm not going to say it's not. Not knocking the dress. It's yeah. a good dress. But it is also, you know, a, a sign of classism. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And class disparity. We um we saw stuff like this in uh, the sleeper the sleeper classic of the podcast, Ice Princess, mm-hmm. where like you can't afford ice skating uniforms or any of the various things that, you know, made that whole struggle a thing for Michelle Trashenberger. Yeah. It's a... Uh... and it's really stark when you see it too yeah and it it, like hurts my heart a little bit because when carnell walks out there in that dress she really is feeling confident she's living her best life Mm -hmm. and people are yelling things at her and Mm -hmm. they're throwing things and this is also when we get a a delmont explosion because he chases down ronnie wayne who's greg german (laughs) and beats the shit out of him oh it's so satisfying the thing that i love about it is that this whole exchange of him beating the shit out of him happens after the evening gown portion Mm -hmm. so carnell's already upset in the background 
the pageant is continuing um, and the contestant is playing the piano and just like crying. The, the poor girl with the bad posture who seems awkward in general is having to play piano while there's a fist fight in the crowd. Yep, and because it's the 80s and I guess because it's the South and because it's a small town, like there's no cops or anything coming in being like, hey guys, like break it up. They're just like, well, we're going to let that run its course. Yeah. And Dumbo just beats the shit out of him. Let him work it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's just playing piano and trying not to pay attention to it. And it's one of the, the funniest moments of the whole movie. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> but the, the contest, though, Carnell is... is I, I want her to win. I don't know if she should have won. Mm-hmm. But, but... I mean, she falls on her face. It's really hard to come back from that. It's true. But I think she looks the best in the swimsuits. I agree. But maybe by 80 sensibility, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she has the best talent because that one girl who does hula hoops is actually fantastic. Okay, so here's the thing. <laughs> who should have won the talent competition is the one black contestant that's in the whole pageant who can do very fucking impressive hula hooping. Yeah. Like, she's on one leg. She's got it around her arms, her she's neck, her ankle. She's got like a bunch ankle. of hula hoops. She's got like she's, eight of them. She's incredible. And then the girl who ends up winning the pageant did the ending monologue from Gone with the Wind, get out of my face. Like, no. That's such like a pandering to the crowd kind of thing, it feels 100% like. 100% it is pandering to the crowd. And here's the thing. I feel like Carnell, like, she comes out and is, like, going to be performing to the Star Spangled Banner. And I'm like, okay, well, this works for our 4th of July theme of the episode. But also, I'm like, I don't know if I like this. And she kills it. Now, granted, is some of her choreography really goofy and a little clunky and she drops the rifle at one point? Yeah, absolutely. But the charm. She has so much personality. And I love the little props that they have where they drop the bang banners. banners. Oh, my God. She really did put in the extra mile and... That moment, like the talent portion, is my favorite part of Holly Hunter's performance. Because she's actually dancing, too. Well, one, she's actually dancing. She's actually tapping. Is she tapping well? No. It's it's very clunky. But Holly Hunter's face is has like this perfect balance of I'm smiling because I know I'm supposed to because it's a pageant, but also I'm focusing really, really hard on trying to do this, but I'm also not very good at it. Mm-hmm. And that is a really, really hard thing to do as an actor, and she's killing it. She looks yeah. amazing. She's actually spinning the rifle and not like smacking herself in the wrist with it. So mm-hmm. that means she had to work for that, which is cool. She does the impressive back bend that I know you're famous for. Yes. I, lo- I love a good layback and she's got a lovely one. And then Popeye comes out as the American flag. Because Pop- Popeye is such <laughs> a great like assistant for her. Like she's, you know, the one responsible for all of the bang curtains. And then she's just a human American flag. It's wonderful. It's incredible. It, it, okay. So this movie does it, it. This movie is fun, but it is a drama. Yeah. And this is probably the most feel-good moment of the whole movie, maybe outside of the ending with fireworks. Yes. Like, this feels great. I love this scene so much. Yeah. And mind you, she before all this happens, she's doubting herself because she's watching the girl do, like, the dramatic reading of Gone with the Wind. And she's like, my my bit's terrible. I I should have done a dramatic reading. I've made a mistake. And is freaking out and then goes out there. And I don't know if she kills it, but I think she killed it. I think she does very well. I understand why she did. I hate to say it because Elaine makes a comment that is definitely supposed to be rude, but is also accurate mm-hmm. where she says like, if there was any sense in the world, you would have came in third. Yeah. That's where she belonged. Probably. <laughs> she belonged in third. Instead she got in, Instead she got last. Yeah. And oh, the scene where they reveal that is, is, is tense and sad. It's also one of the best 
ways I've ever seen this happen because what ends up happening is after Delmont beats the shit out of Ronnie Wayne, he's like, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, and he takes a walk. He takes a walk. And then he has this realization once he gets far enough away, like, no, I can't do this. Carnell's worked so hard for this. I need to come back and see what happens. So the shot is him walking through this carnival because the Miss Firecracker contest happens at a carnival. Mm-hmm. And he's and it, it's a oneer. And it's this really beautiful oneer where he's rocking through this the 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 carnival and all you can hear is like people having a good time and eating food and going on rides and you can vi- just vaguely hear in the background the announcer being like and third runner up and fourth runner up but then the audience is cheering so you don't know what place anybody's in or who won. And then by the time he gets there, they're announcing the winner and it's not Carnell. And then you can see that she's in last, like Mm -hmm. she got last place. Mm -hmm. And it is such a heartbreaking reveal because you are so amped because you have no idea what the results are going to be. Yeah. And then it's just heartbreaking. And mind you, it's especially heartbreaking because like the thing that we see before that is the talent competition. Where she does great and everybody loves her and the audience is like super on her side. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they come out in their bathing suits, and she looks fantastic and is killing it and seems very proud of herself. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't work out, and it's it sucks. Mm-hmm. Just a, it, It's a huge bummer that I get why they do it. It doesn't feel good, but it's not supposed to feel good. Mm-hmm. So, mm. Yeah. And then, you know, shortly after the pageant, the thing that I think I – really love like the scene that i'm just like hell yeah carnell is if you're in the top three you get to be on the float Mm -hmm. if you are fourth and fifth place you hold the american flag on the back of the float Mm -hmm. so fourth and fifth place is carnell and then the one black contestant whose name we get we we hear over the intercom like once yeah i don't think we really know the names of most of the no we, we really don't um but they're telling her, like, Colonel, you don't have to do this. Like, you can leave. You don't have to be a part of this. And she takes a stand and is like, I did this pageant. I entered it. I worked hard. And I came in fifth. So, God damn it, I'm going to be on the back of this float holding the flag. And she's so angry. And everyone else has changed into, like, their formal gowns. But she can't because hers got destroyed. So she's wearing a swimsuit. Mm-hmm. And she is just like, I don't give a shit. I'm doing it. I made this commitment. And I'm following through with it. Mm-hmm. And I... Love that mm-hmm. for her. I love that. Yeah, too. she didn't run away, mm-hmm. even to the end. Because I'll, I'm going to be a hundred percent real. I've been in a lot of parades in my life, mm-hmm. a lot of them, either mm-hmm. through baton or through pageants. There was one year where I came in second, and I'm not going to get into like the nitty gritty like pageant drama gossip because it's pointless and stupid. The year that I came in second, though. There was a lot of people um, who contested this mm-hmm. and who were like, that's wrong. I don't agree with this at all. The girl who won should not have. Mm-hmm. But obviously, like, all pageants are subjective, whatever, whatever. I was invited to be on the float and sit as, you know, first runner up. Mm-hmm. And I chose not to. I was like, you know what? I would much rather go with my baton corps and twirl in the parade and be with my team than to sit as like the second place person on this float while there are going to be half the people on the street cheering and the other half being like, hey, you should have won because that's awkward and no one mm-hmm. needs that. And I sure as shit was not going to do that to the girl who won. Mm-hmm. My thoughts on whether or not I should have won that year 
don't matter. It doesn't matter. It's in the past. Yeah. But I knew that that's what was going to happen. So I didn't. So in that regard, like Carnell's stronger than I am because I could have sat there and I was like, no, 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 this is going to be a mess and I'm not doing it. So then I went and I twirled instead and, you know, it was great and it was fine. Mm -hmm. But uh, that is something that is like very visceral when she does that and she's like holding the American flag and screaming and I'm like, you're amazing. I love you. (laughs) So dedicated. I love that too. Something else that I really like about this movie and why I do consider this into a teen movie is that. Elaine's entire life is defined by something that she achieved as a teenager. Yeah, like when she was 16 or something. Yes. And Carnell's entire life has been living in the shadow of something that happened to her cousin when she was a teenager. Mm -hmm. And one of the big motivating factors of us having this show is that we frequently dismiss media that was important to us when we were teenagers or movies and the things that we expose teenagers to that have long-standing impacts on us for the rest of our lives Mm -hmm. because the things that do happen to us as teenagers like it's so easy to be like it's high school it doesn't matter but that's not true it does matter and the things that happen to us in our youth are very very important yeah, that's when you're first developing individualism and critical thought and mm-hmm. all these other important parts that mold you into who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, w- what happens in your teenage years doesn't necessarily dictate who you're going to be for the rest of your life. So it's not like, oh, well, high school doesn't matter. Because, like, in that sense, it doesn't. But it certainly um, can send you off into a million different trajectories. Yeah. Like, it's kind of important on what happened to you and who you were as a teenager in terms of what's going to happen in your adult life and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And this movie does a really, really good job at showing how those events can impact you for far longer than your teen years. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though Elaine is like a a problematic character and kind of an asshole, like we understand that, but she's also kind of struggling with that of, trying to maintain this very high bar that she set for herself as a teenager and feeling like she's not achieving that Mm -hmm. and the problems that she has and like how she has this terrible attitude and she's causing harm to, you know, other people in the process because she can't accept the fact that like she hit her peak when she was 17, Mm -hmm. like for all intents and purposes, that's what happened. And having to come to that realization is really, really hard and I think that that's a real realization and like a real thing that happens to a lot of people, especially people who, you know, might not leave their hometowns or mm-hmm. people who do leave their hometowns, but are still kind of hanging on who they were when they lived in that hometown. Oh, yeah. We talk about that a lot. Um, it came up a lot in like an episode like Just Friends, for example. Yes. But I think that this is especially impactful for Elaine because she went on to marry a rich guy and essentially became a trophy wife and then didn't really... S- strive to achieve anything else and she's unhappy yes and she's trying to leave him she wants to but she's not willing to make that jump because she doesn't want to lose her clocks and other she doesn't she's she's now gotten used to living a life of luxury and she doesn't want to give that up she does not want to go back to the way that she lived in yazoo city she's like i already got out why would i go back Mm -hmm. to that she she wants to continue to be better than people Mm -hmm. like popeye and carnell Mm -hmm. and delmont that's exactly what's happening here. And, you know, that that's something that I think is really, really interesting because as much as we know that Elaine is our de facto villain in this story, mm-hmm. 
she's also hurting. Mm -hmm. She's also going through some really intense stuff and having to grapple with a lot of really complex emotions. And I like that the movie shows that because it would be really easy to paint her as just like a selfish bitch. And it's like, no, she's complex. Like it doesn't excuse the fact that she's being awful, but it's giving an explanation as to why she's being awful. Oh yeah. It's easy to paint like a mean person as a mean person. Like that's, that's very simplistic writing. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the fact that this is based on a play is usually a good indicator of deeper writing. Yeah. There's always a lot thicker character development i think because mm -hmm. you get to read <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> well also i think it helps that a play especially like a, a character driven play like this you need to have complex interesting characters otherwise what's the point you're not getting right. by on special effects and like you know whatever right this is a play that does not have a lot of spectacle outside of the actual pageant yeah you're here for the story and the characters and the dialogue mm -hmm. that's that that's that's its strong point yeah absolutely well i think we've kind of tapped all we can out of miss firecracker i mean we could gush about little things but right. we, we certainly hit all the big marks <laughs> yeah so harmony the question that i have for you miss firecracker is asking you to the prom mm -hmm. is it a yes a no or a maybe and are you writing anything on the card back it is gonna be a yes Hooray. And even if I don't get a legendary red dress, I'll still show up to this prom in a swimsuit and jeans and then <laughs> climb an observatory to watch fireworks with Carnell because she's cool. How romantic. Yeah. It is a really beautiful ending. Honestly, it is. Like, like it's gorgeous. <laughs> aside from, obviously, her tap dancing, like, that's, that's the most heartwarming scene in mm -hmm. the movie. Well, that's exciting, and I'm glad that it's a yes for you because this is a movie that has really gone underseen, and I think there's a lot of really wonderful storytelling happening. I agree, especially because, you know, this is a very American film, and mm -hmm. it's set in the South, and there's a lot of things that I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I immediately have some some reflexive things where I'm like, I don't, I don't know, this, mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it exceeded all, all of my standards. So oh, fantastic. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very good. Okay. Fully recommended for anybody who hasn't Happy seen it. Happy to have introduced this to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, that sort of takes us out on Miss Firecracker. Um, I do have a, something that I want to talk about as mm -hmm. we're, as we're wrapping up. Um, so obviously every week we do our usual, like, follow us on Patreon, give us Apple reviews, blah, 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 blah. That still applies. Follow us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. <laughs> um, and also, please continue leaving us Apple reviews. We've been getting some really wonderful ones lately. Um, the five star really does help. It helps us reach new audiences. And that's, that's great. Love mm -hmm. that. But we got a review recently, and I really wanted to address it because I think that it's important. Mm -hmm. And it was part of a four star review. And I also want to... I'm going to use the exact wording that's in it because I think that that's also important. But the review said, I love this podcast. It's fun and comforting, but sometimes, at least to me, it feels as if making fun of younger people in the LGBTQ plus community. But that is just my opinion and does not change the fact that I love the show. And I think that was like a four-star review. It was yeah. still a very nice review. Yeah, it was still a nice review. Um, but hearing that feedback, like I really wanted to address it because I do think that it's also part of a larger conversation that we've been seeing happening on like Twitter and TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, right off the bat, this is valid criticism. 
Like, and if this is how the show is coming off, like our intention does doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk a lot on the show about the game of impact versus intent, and impact wins. So uh, I I understand that completely. Mm-hmm. But that being said, um, teenagers, including our former teen selves, are not beyond criticism. No. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because of things like social media, um, we we now have teens whose actions and opinions are far more visible than they've ever been before. And they're also interacting with adults in these parasocial relationships. And that's not something that's existed until very recently. And because of that, we do have to acknowledge it. Like we Mm -hmm. talk on the show all the time, like, oh yeah, I did this when I was 15 because I'm a fucking idiot. Oh yeah. No, we (laughs) we roast our teenage selves very hard. Yeah, constantly. And when it comes to, you know, the LGBTQ plus youth of today, you know, we're currently living in a, in a place where we're now having, you know, baby queers that are very, very loudly talking about things like how there shouldn't be kink at Pride or we should bring back censorship to movies because, you know, movies from the 80s are problematic and then like not... No, no sex scene has ever needed to be in a yeah, movie. Yeah, there should be no sex scenes in any movies or things like this and, and it's all being presented without historical context, without any cultural context. And when that happens, like, yeah, we're going to acknowledge that they're uneducated on on the subject matter. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of, like, making fun of them. Like, we're course correcting. Yeah. Um, We don't make fun of them any more than we make fun of any other people. Right. Yeah. And because the thing is, like, we now have, like, teens today now have these massive platforms, and they do actually influence culture. Mm -hmm. They do. So when they're spouting things off that are incorrect or that are, you know, damaging to the community, they have to be held accountable. Like we can no longer have this like, oh, they're just kids being kids sort of mentality that Mm -hmm. we've had for generations. It's not like when we were on MySpace screaming into the wind. Yeah. It's not leaving like passive aggressive aim away messages. Yeah. This this isn't going off into like the void. Like, no, this is a very large platform. Yeah. And it's being consumed by millions of people mm-hmm. so it's very important that yeah, yeah we got we got a comment on it um and the other thing too is that like this also isn't new what's happening anyone who was on tumblr in the 2000s knows that the talking points and the things that are happening today within like the young lgbtq plus community mm-hmm. they're happening in a cycle they happened 10 years ago they're going to happen 10 years from now it's going to keep going mm-hmm. because despite the fact that we have more information readily available to ourselves at any given moment. Um, there's an oversaturation of information, mm-hmm. and not all of it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's a whole thing. But, I mean, ultimately, this is a show about teen movies mm-hmm. from the perspective of two people who grew up as queer teens. Mm-hmm. And we both cringe and make fun of ourselves for things that we did as teenagers. And a big part of the discussions that we have surrounding these movies include personal anecdotes as well. Mm -hmm. So if we're ever making fun, the punchline has always been ourselves. And that is not to be confused with making critical commentary on teen culture. Being critical and acknowledging missteps is not making fun of, nor is it like, you know, bullying we're never going to make fun of, you know, the the teenagers of today because they're teenagers and just as we were, we didn't know then what we were doing was was incorrect. 
we also do know that we have a we have a younger leaning audience base mm-hmm. and we've been we've been told a few times like hey thank you for addressing this point i never knew that and i'm i'm hoping that by us being frank and having very frank discussions <laughs> on this show that we are making an impact to try to combat a lot of the misinformation that is being spread throughout younger queer communities on social media. Yeah. I I really hope that we're having some sort of positive impact because I really cannot have a 15-year-old yelling at me and being like, there is no reason that someone should be wearing leather at Pride. My God, please learn your history. I am begging you, sweet Mm -hmm. baby angel queer. You, You don't know as much as you think you do. Take it from someone who also didn't know shit about shit as a 15-year-old. Right. Um, It's it's a, yeah. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. So I really want to take the time to say thank you so much for that feedback. Like, we hear it, and we're going to try to modify the language that we're using moving forward so that our intentions match our impact a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But... I I guess us not defending ourselves. I don't want to say that we're defending ourselves more so just elaborating on like what the intention is behind the show as Mm -hmm. well as those discussions that we're having. So thank you. We hear you. We're going to try to be more direct about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we really do appreciate it when you all give us feedback like this. It, It does help. Yeah. So I appreciate it. And I also appreciate that you did it in a constructive way and didn't just like go on Twitter and being like, you're being mean to baby queers. You should jump off a bridge. Like, yeah, that's much that, appreciated. That, I'm, I'm not going to be so inclined to listen to feedback like that. Right. But like good constructive <laughs> feedback like that helps us make a better show, which makes yeah. it more enjoyable and more refined and eloquent for everyone. Yeah. Because like mm-hmm. that's the whole point. We're just by trying to have like deep conversations. It's like with... Uh, with like you are goods thing of that they're they're a feelings podcast. That, that's what we do. We're also with movies. Mm-hmm. That's why we're family. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're looking we're looking at the the coming of age time in our lives and how it's impacted us forever emotionally and culturally and pop culturally and mm-hmm. all of the above. Yeah, yeah. So that being said, friends. Yes, you know where to find us on on Apple and review sites and Patreon. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends Up Prom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? I am also on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And huge thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as the theme song. Harmony, do you have a cool indie band this week? I do. And it's somebody that, you know, if you know anything about me, you know I'm a big fan of uh, Scott Toon Network. Mm-hmm. So that has Jer, who just released a covers album of like pop songs. It's very much like a like a pop goes ska kind of yeah. thing. It's very fun. It it reminds me of my youth <laughs> <laughs> when there were a million like punk goes buh things, and uh, it features a lot of really good guest musicians and singers like Get Tough and Insignificant Other. Woolbright, Eichlers, uh, We Are the Union, who Jer is also in. So mm-hmm. like. Yeah, that's, that's some, some tight stuff. And then I get to drop a lot of other really cool bands in my one shout out at the same time. <laughs> Look at you, fancy. <laughs> yeah, I, I try. <laughs> All right, friends. Thank you again for listening. And y'all are the best. We love you so very much. And we will see you next time. So don't forget, save that last dance for us. Bye. Goodbye.
This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.